This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, you bet it is. What's going on, everybody? It's a Monday. It's a new week. 20th day of June, 2022. Grosser with you here on 98.7 ESPN. 800-919-3776. That is our telephone number. As we get ready to settle in for three big hours of sports talk conversation, you and I, alongside my pals, Brian Munguia and Thomas Bauer, they're producing the program. We're taking it right up until 10 o'clock tonight. And hey, if you want to get me on Twitter, feel free to do so at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Summer officially arrives manana, which will be the longest day of the year. So these next couple of days, you're not going to find anything better than this. Get outside, enjoy the, the daylight. Last night, I don't think it got like completely like pitch black until oh my god, it was like almost like nine o'clock after nine o'clock or something like that, if I can remember right. But so you got a couple of days there, and then from here on out, you lose a minute every single day the rest of the year. And but we got a lot of good things to enjoy, including some baseball where the Mets just keep on taking care of business. They took three out of four from the fish, blanking them this afternoon at City Field. An absolutely beautiful day game that Brian Munguia took in with his own two eyes as a matter of fact jealous that he was out at the ballpark today but Mets win they're on to Houston we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program Yankees down south in Tampa as they get ready for a three-game set with the division rival Rays a team that you know over the last couple of years has given them some fits let's be real but not recently and not this season because really who has given the Yankee the Yankees fits like what what actually counts as an obstacle to the New York Yankees this year nothing I mean I still can't believe that they lost the game yesterday like when they lose one game you sit there and say oh my, like the sky is falling especially in the manner in which they lost yesterday's game when they blew a pair of pretty sizable leads that was the first game the Yankees had lost all season long and where they had a lead of three or more runs and now believe it or not the only team in baseball as crazy as it sounds that has yet to lose a game this season when leading by three or more runs, it's the Baltimore Orioles. So go figure. And really, you know, you talk about Baltimore. Here's what I'll say about them. They're not horrible this year. Like, they're not a disgrace. They're not the laughing stock of Major League Baseball because there are a lot of other teams that would fit that criteria more than the Orioles do. I mean, they've won 30 games already. They didn't get their 30th win last year until, I think, July the 18th. It took them like 90-something games to get to 30 wins. That was a disgrace. I mean, they've got one more win already this year than the Seattle Mariners do. And Seattle won 90 games last year and were expected to be in the thick of the playoff conversation this season. You know? Baltimore's only one win behind the Chicago White Sox. And Chicago was a team with postseason aspirations. Division champion a year ago. So, look, they're not going to the playoffs. Brandon Hyde has done a nice job with that team. He's got those dudes playing hard for him, and I guess that's all he can ask for in the thick of things. But Yankees tonight, Cole against McClanahan, the pitching matchup down there in Tampa. We'll uh, zero in on the Bombers a little bit later on in the program. We'll also have some thoughts on, I guess, what's a pretty wild party going on out there in San Francisco today where the NBA champion Golden State Warriors are basking in the thick of things out there. I saw some video on Twitter a couple of minutes ago where Clay Thompson was like, you know, running back and forth to different sides of the street to like, you know, high five the fans and just, I mean, like a Mack truck came plowing through and like knocked some young lady over down to the ground in the middle of the street. You know, it's obviously it was accidental, but those dudes, um, you know, not a lot of vitamin C I think is being consumed 
by the Warriors and the uh, the championship party out there during the parade. You know, they're basking in the thrill of the fourth ring, as they should. But we'll uh, play some of that sound for you later, because I haven't even had a chance to hear a lot of it, as a matter of fact. So you know that there's always a few gems that come out of any championship parade, celebration, party, you name it. Plus, we got Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals tonight. And I know that you need four to win, but for lack of a better term, this is it for the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. It's called make a stand tonight or there's going to be a new Stanley Cup champion because there's no way Tampa Bay is going to be coming back from a three-games-to-love deficit, which is what happens if they don't win tonight on home ice. And Saturday was a laugher. I, I mean, I can't even remember a time or whenever it was the last time that I turned off a Stanley Cup Finals game prematurely just because it was unwatchable. I mean, it was it that looked like, you know, the JV versus the varsity, and that's supposed to be the two best teams in hockey at 7 nothing. You know, I don't know how you feel like that if you're a Ranger fan. Like, when you see the Lightning get shellacked like that in a game and really how difficult it's been for them all series, like, do you say to yourself, oh, well, that could be happening to us? Or, well, thank God that's not happening to us? Or if you thought that somehow, some way that – there would be a different outcome if the Rangers were playing the Colorado Avalanche. I don't know. But either way, uh, it's the Lightning right now who were embarrassed on Saturday night. And they got one more stab at this thing coming up here a little bit later on tonight down there on their home ice. So we'll keep you up to date on that as we move forward through the evening. But basketball is the lead. Basketball is the name of the game here. And, yeah, we got the draft coming up on Thursday. And who knows what the Knicks are going to do. They're sitting there at 11. You know, we've heard all sorts of rumors and theories out there that maybe they're looking to move on up and, you know, maybe as high as number four where the Sacramento Kings currently occupy that position. And, you know, talk is and word is that maybe Jaden Ivey, the guard from Purdue, is somebody that the Knicks have eyes on and would like to maybe bring into their program. We'll see. You know, it takes two to tango. I mean, Knicks want to move up, but guess what? There's a lot of other teams that want to move up, too. And you have to find a willing partner, and it's going to have to work for both sides. So we could get into all the back and forth and what could happen and what needs to happen and that sort of thing, and we will. But you wake up today, and I was up early doing my baseball show over there on MLB Network Radio and see a story come down from The Athletic and Shams, and it was regarding Kyrie Irving. And the talks between Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets are not really going all that swimmingly right now. And that the two sides have pretty much reached a stalemate, at least for the time being. And then when I saw that, my first thought was, well, wait a second. Like, is this surprising to anybody? You know, like, raise your hand right now if you're genuinely shocked and surprised and taken aback by a report that maybe the Nets and Kyrie Irving are not exactly seeing eye to eye. Like, does that shock anybody who wasn't born yesterday? Tell me. You know, and when I hear that, though, and then you read into the story, and then you try to get to the bottom of what exactly is happening and that sort of thing, at least for me, I don't take it necessarily as it's implied. And whenever you see these type of reports being circulated out there, you always have to, at least with me, you got to dig a little bit further to find out what the truth is, right? It's not just as it appears on the surface. Because I'll be quite honest with you, and look, I'm no fan of Kyrie Irving and the way that he conducts himself and all this, you know, in and the lineup, out of the lineup, this and that, and all these other ventures that he puts higher on the priority scale, apparently, than playing basketball as a professional. Despite all those things, I still think that deep down, he does not want to leave Brooklyn. And he still wants to be a Brooklyn Net. 
despite everything that's now being reported even as of the last 24 hours. I still think he wants to be a member of this team. Now, according to The Athletic, there's a deadline coming up on June the 29th. That is a week from Wednesday, right? At that deadline, Kyrie Irving has to opt in for a $36.9 million player option for next season. 36.9 mil, right? If it was you, if it was me, whatever, it's like, hey, where do I sign? How do I opt in? Is it electronic? Do I have to sign something? What do I do? That's a no-brainer, right? But apparently, for Kyrie, it is a little bit deeper thought and a little bit deeper of a process. And the two sides are at the so-called impasse as of now. But there's still time. There's still nine days. And to me, you know, the more I think about this and the more you kind of try to sift through everything that's being reported, as far as I'm concerned, this really is no different than anything that we've seen over the years from other athletes and really not necessarily even in the NBA, other sports as well. And to me, it's nothing more, nothing less, and it has to do with the almighty dollar. And it has to do with green. That's all this is. You know, I don't know who leaked the story. I don't know where Shams got the story. I don't know if he got it from somebody from the Brooklyn side. I don't know if he got it from somebody in Kyrie's camp. But as far as I'm concerned, it's probably coming from maybe Kyrie's side. Because let's think about it for a second. I know to you and me and to every, like, regular person out there, $36.9 million, it's a no-brainer. Right? It's more money than you're ever going to see in your life. Ten times over. But if you're Kyrie and you're his people, you sit there and you look at that dollar figure and you say to yourself, why should we settle for $37 million? Right? Your $37 million, that's underpaid right now in the NBA. Even for Kyrie. You know, next year, $37 million, you know what that gets you? You're not even the highest paid player on your own team. Well, just so happens that Kevin Durant's his teammate, and Kevin Durant should be the highest paid player on the Nets. Right? He's accomplished the most, and oh, by the way, he is the best player. But that's $37 bucks. That's only good for 17th best in the NBA. Kyrie sees that and he says to himself, wait a second, 17th on the pay scale? Me? 17? And then especially when you look at some of those other numbers and the facts and figures, we talked about it over the weekend, remember? You got Russell Westbrook making $47 million next year. Russell Westbrook's been well-traveled over the last couple of years. Right? Russell Westbrook has not exactly won a hell of a lot over the last few seasons. John Wall, and we know that that's a horrible contract, but John Wall's on the hook for $47.3 million next year, and John Wall don't even play. Right? John Wall's like stealing. James Harden, Kyrie's old buddy. Him too. Player option that he can opt into, $47.3 million. So Kyrie probably looks at that and he says, wait a second, I'm better than these guys. I contribute more than these guys. I actually have a championship ring over these other guys. And he doesn't want to take a back seat, and why should he? Right? Why shouldn't Kyrie go out there and earn every last cent that he could possibly earn? Because after all, I mean, he did play in 29 games last year. Right? He laid it out there on the line for 29 games. What, do you expect him to play in 82 games? Even 72 games? 62 games? 52, 42? I'll get there eventually. 32? No, 29. That's fine. You kidding me? 29 games. 
Wouldn't that be great, whatever job you have? Like, if you could say, oh, yeah, all you got to do is show up to work 29 times a year and make $37 million. Wow. <laughs> That's like, I know, it's almost double an NFL player. But at least NFL players, they got to practice and all those things. But as far as, like, the games, yeah, they only play half that. But they don't make that much money. Think about it. In three years as a net, he's appeared in only 103 of a possible 216 regular season games. He has missed way more games than he has actually played in. And we know that there's various circumstances. There's injuries. He didn't want to get vaccinated. He didn't want to go down to the bubble a couple of years ago. There's, a, there's always something, right? But like I began this conversation talking about, let's remember something. Money rules all. In every walk of life, and especially when you're talking about big business like sports, as it should, because the money is ridiculous. Look at what happened in the NFL over the last couple of months. Remember the Rams? They won a Super Bowl, right? Remember Aaron Donald? He's, like, really good. Remember you woke up Super Sunday, and there was reports already circulating, like, hours before the Super Bowl that Aaron Donald might retire. Might retire. Win, lose, or draw, he might be done after the Super Bowl. Really? Hmm. And now fast forward to, what, a couple of weeks ago, where Aaron Donald, who apparently, like the entire offseason, was still in limbo, didn't know if he wanted to play or not, was going back and forth. Well, isn't it amazing, right? I I mean, call it a stroke of luck, call it whatever. You know, maybe the moon was aligned a different way. But isn't it amazing that a guy who, on the day of his professional peak, the pinnacle of his sport, the Super Bowl, There was talk that he might retire, and then they were asking him those questions after the game, and he didn't want to commit. And then the months that followed subsequently, what was that, March, April, May, and then into June, didn't know what he wanted to do. And then magically, just like that, like they waved the magic wand, and Aaron Donald signed a contract for, what, $130 million guaranteed, which is the most ever for a non-quarterback. Isn't that something? So I guess there's 130 million reasons why he decided to continue his professional career and not ride off into the sunset. Isn't it funny how that works, right? So why should we look at this Kyrie thing as any different? Doesn't he want to get paid? But I'll tell you what. You know what the difference is between Aaron Donald and Kyrie Irving, for example? The biggest difference that I see it, and this is why the Nets would be crazy, to entertain any sort of long time or long-term conversations with a contract and really any other team for that matter. Cuz I still believe deep down a guy like Aaron Donald football's his top priority. I don't think you can sit here and tell me with a straight face that you think basketball is Kyrie Irving's top priority. You can't. No way no how. Because there's always something which seems to factor in between him and playing and doing what he's supposed to do to carry the Nets to a championship other than just basketball. It's always something else. You know, the Nets bent over backwards for this guy, as a lot of teams do for a lot of superstars. But I thought that this was maybe different, because remember, at the beginning of the year last year, when Sean Marks came out and said, you know what, we don't want a part-time player. We're not going to have a part-time player. It's not fair to the other guys in that locker room. Until what happened? Nets weren't winning enough, and the Nets realized, you know what, they needed Kyrie Irving, and then voila, he was allowed to rejoin the team. And then magically, the, you know, the rules went away, and then he was able to play, and, and yada, yada, yada. But then the team crashed and burned in the first round, so they're back to square one. So that's where we are right now.
They got nine days to figure this thing out. So if they don't come to some sort of an understanding, that means that he's somebody that is possibly going to be on the move again. And wouldn't you just know it that one of the teams, one of the teams that's being reported that would reportedly be among the interested parties, none other than our New York Knicks. And that's something. The Knicks and the two teams out in L.A. I got to hear from you. Number one, do you buy this? Like, what do you think his endgame strategy is? And number two, let's just say if there's an impending divorce between Kyrie and the Nets, if you're a Knicks fan, is that something you want any part of? And furthermore, do you think that it's something that Kyrie would want any part of? Because correct me if I'm wrong, a couple of summers ago, he had a chance and said thanks but no thanks. So why is this any different? Here on 9870 ESPN, we're taking it till 10 o'clock. Hey, stop me if you've heard this one before. Anthony Rizzo hit a home run. one nothing Yankees, and he got all of that one. It was an impressive shot, too, off of Shane McClanahan, one of the best pitchers in the game. Lefty on lefty crime. So 19 for Rizzo, 49 home runs. Not in for a hell of a lot in terms of average, but you know what? He's been more than worth his weight for this Yankee baseball team this year. And when you consider about Rizzo what's amazing, he wasn't even the first choice, right? He wasn't even the first choice this year. I don't think the Yankees necessarily wanted him at the top of their list. I don't think Yankee fans wanted him back at the top of the list, right? They were trying to make a play to see what Freddie Freeman would command in free agency. They were maybe kicking the tires on Matt Olson out there in Oakland to see what it would take to pry him away. And then when neither of those became feasible and maybe they were a little bit too rich for the Yankees' blood, they turned back to the guy they had last year and said, hey, Anthony, how you doing? Want to come back? He saw what happened. And it's paying off. Like everything is paying off for the Yankees this year. But with this Kyrie thing, and we'll get to the phones in just a second here, let's just say, for argument's sake, Works out a max deal with the Nets. It's not going to kick in until the final or the following year, which will be, what, 2023-24. And that first year, he's going to make a little over $45 million. So that's a big leap, right? Can't do anything about the player option this year with 37, even though that's a nice chunk of change. Then it goes up the following year once you get the max deal. So if we have in this report here, Knicks, Clippers, Lakers, if you're the Knicks, why? I'm trying to figure this out, and I'm, I'm really like going through all the possibilities here. And I still have yet to find one that makes any sense to me. Because I said it, and I'll say it again. A few years ago, had an opportunity to go there, right? When he was a free agent. So did Kevin Durant. But they both decided, no, we don't want Madison Square Garden. We don't want the pressure. We don't want the scrutiny. We don't want everything that comes with playing on Broadway. We're going to go off to Brooklyn to where maybe it's not as intense. You know, there you could just do your thing. If you win some games, great. You get a few people that jump on the bandwagon, and they'll all show up come playoff time, and they'll sell the place out, and you have a bunch of fraud fans in there and so on and so forth. But if you lose, and if you play bad, and even to a certain degree, hell, if you don't even show up and play, They're not really going to get on you to the extent that they would with the Knicks because, like, Brooklyn is just there. It's not the Knicks. It's not Manhattan. It's not. 
So over the last three years, when he didn't want you back then in 2019, what exactly has Kyrie Irving done over the last three seasons on the court and off the court to where if you're the Knicks, you got to say, that's the guy we need. Oh, we want him even more. Has he done anything to make himself more appealing? Because to me, it's the complete opposite. Why in your wildest dreams would you reach out thinking that that's the guy that's going to deliver you where you want to go when ultimately he's going to let you down? You know it and I know it. Benjamin and Valley Stream, he's batting leadoff here on 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Ben? Hey, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ben. So I'm going to be honest. I'm so sick and tired of Kyrie being in the media and, frankly, doing whatever the hell he wants. You know, it's year after year. It's the same discussion about Kyrie. And my biggest problem with him is when he addresses these criticisms, he doesn't take into account that he's like a centerpiece of a multi-billion dollar organization. And like they're pledging this money to him. Like you're saying, it's, it's so obvious. <clears throat> like no one has to state the facts of how many games he's played. And everyone knows the facts are out there. In terms of the Knicks specifically, the last thing they need is a headache like this. Frankly, Kyrie is one of the reasons people, people are sick and tired of watching the NBA in general. Everything's fraudulent. But the last thing the Knicks need is this headache. I got to tell you that. I agree a million percent, Ben, and I thank you for the phone call. I, I think it's a no-brainer. Of all the, like, to me, this would almost be going backwards. I know the Knicks aren't in a great spot right now, to be quite honest with you, because they got some work to do. They're trying to build something. You know, they made the playoffs a couple of years ago. That was great. Home court advantage, first round, fantastic. Last year, things bottomed out. Last year was more like a regression to the mean. But now if you want to continue to build this thing and they talk about culture and doing things the right way and bringing in the right people and all those things, this is not your guy. You know, to quote the great Obi-Wan Kenobi, these aren't the droids you're looking for. This isn't the player you're looking for. He will only let you down. I mean, you want guys that are dependable. You want guys that are going to be available. You want guys that are going to lead on the court, off the court. This is him? And on what planet is this the answer for the Knicks? And I understand, look, in terms of salary cap stuff, like if you even wanted to make it work, like if you were trying to find ways to make it feasible, you're going to have to shed some salary because you're not just going to trade for him to make it a one-year go, because that doesn't make any sense, because this Knicks team right now is not built to win next year. Like, you really think the Knicks are a championship team in the fall slash the winter? Definitely not. It's how do you continue to get better, and how do you build this thing up to where in a couple of seasons you think, all right, not only are we ready to contend in the Eastern Conference, but if we do have the opportunity to bring in some free agents and acquire players from other teams in the NBA, this is going to be a destination. Do guys want to play with Kyrie Irving? That's the other question. Guys want to play with him? I mean, take, take Kevin Durant, for example. Once upon a time, he did, like three years ago. And even though he says that he has no regrets, and I mean, KD decided to sign up long-term here for Brooklyn. He's there. But you mean to tell me that KD has not had a moment or two or three or four or ten over the last several years that he's thinking to himself, why, oh, why, oh, why? Did I hitch my ride with this dude? He's not dependable. He's not reliable. KD's watching his old team, the Golden State Warriors, win their fourth championship. Remember, Golden State's won as many championships without KD as they've won with KD. 
And he gave that up, right? He left that to go to Brooklyn and play with Kyrie Irving and then ultimately play with James Harden, which was a horrible fit. And they had to cut ties with that. And, oh, by the way, what did they replace James Harden with? They replaced him with Ben Simmons, who we don't even know if he will ever play again. Seriously. Like, can you say with any certainty at all what Ben Simmons is going to be like in October and November? We have no idea. Because the minute you think that, okay, he's ready to go, he's got a clean bill of health, the doctors checked him out, he's thumbs up, he's green-lighted, everything. All the basketball activity, he ramped up and those sort of things. He might go ready to you know, play basketball, and he just all of a sudden the back hurts again. Or all of a sudden, you know, I can't do it. I'm going to have to take a couple of days off. And then before you know it, you know, six weeks, eight weeks have passed, and we still haven't seen Ben Simmons. That's why whenever these teams talk about culture and getting the right guys, they're all frauds. They're all frauds. Because what the Nets have done over there is like a model on how not to build an organization and build a winning team and how to build a culture. They were doing it for a little while there, and it looked good, right? They had the coach there that was well-respected, a lot of young talent that everybody was going to grow with and grow together and get the best out of those players. You had a couple of superstars that wanted to go over there and play for them, right? And that was okay, Signing Kyrie, signing KD, that wasn't something that necessarily spoiled the Brooklyn Nets. It was when they made the Harden trade, which was the beginning of the end. That's when it all changed, and that's when it all started to fall apart here. 100%. And then Kenny Atkinson wasn't the genius that Kevin Durant thought he was when he decided to sign up and was watching all those you know, Kenny Atkinson clinics on YouTube that he preached about when he put his name uh, on that contract a few summers ago. And, you know, you talk about the Lakers. For, well, we'll talk about that when we come back. 800-919-3776. I'm still waiting for a good reason. Any sort of a sensible, rational idea as to why Kyrie to the Knicks, if he becomes available, makes any sort of sense. All season long, listen to 98.7 ESPN for ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. It's brought to you by Nissan. Nissan's an easier choice than ever with their exciting and fuel efficient lineup. Now get great offers across their full line. Shop at your local Nissan store and NissanUSA.com. Dan Grasso with you here till 10 on 98.7 ESPN. Nick in Queens. He's up next here on 98.7. Nick, what's going on? How you doing? First of all, no way on earth do we want Uncle Drew on the Knicks. No way. <laughs> now, listen, I, I heard a couple of rumors. DeAndre Ayton, and they're trying to get the fourth pick. They stopped. They don't care about that no more. Well, the fourth pick stuff, remember, that's that come your way on Thursday. The problem with the fourth pick stuff, as we touched on, Nick, it's not just the Knicks that have eyes on that fourth pick. There's a lot of teams that have designs on moving up for it, you know? So there's going to be competition there. And let's just say if you're Sacramento and you're the one sitting there, I mean, like, is Sacramento eager to move out of number four? I don't necessarily – I think that Sacramento would be perfectly fine with just sitting there and getting themselves a quality player with that fourth pick. And how about DeAndre Ayton? Well, here's the thing him. with DeAndre Ayton, Right. DeAndre, and, and look, we figure, everything we're led to believe is that Mitchell Robinson's going to be playing someplace else next year, right? He, his time with uh-huh. the Knicks is done. 
if you're DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton's game did not really go to the next level until Chris Paul got there. Devin Booker Ugh. really began to establish himself as a premier scorer in this league. Do the Knicks have that foundation already in place to where DeAndre Ayton and his skill set is going to be able to benefit from having some other guys that can maybe take some of that pressure off of him? Or are the Knicks working their way towards that? Good answer. One more guy. Brunson. And then I'll let you go. Well, here's the thing with Brunson. And, Nick, thanks for the phone call. And I know that the Knicks hired his dad to be a part of the organization. That doesn't necessarily guarantee that Jalen Brunson's coming here. I'd be look, everything that Mark Cuban has said is that they're not letting Jalen Brunson get out of Dodge. They're not letting him get out of Dallas. And why should they? The thing that worries me about a Jalen Brunson is that we've seen this in the past. We've seen them throw money, big money, and that's what he's gonna want. He's gonna want big money. That really you take a step back and you say to yourself, is Jalen Brunson really worth all that coin? Or is he a guy that is suddenly available, and he's a pretty good player, but I wouldn't sit here and say he's a star player, and just because he's available, that's somebody we have to throw a bunch of money at because we can get him. Is that the right way to go about building a team? I'm not so sure. Like, my heart's not going to be broken if Jalen Brunson doesn't come to Broadway. As a matter of fact, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to stay in Dallas because Dallas could pay more than anybody else. Right? That's a fact. Bobby Marks. ESPN front office insider, he was on with Barton Hahn earlier today. And he basically said, you know what? The Kyrie talk is great and all, but he really doesn't have a lot of leverage. This is not an, an offseason for a player to start pulling the leverage card. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, this is just, it's just the landscape of the league here, and you're not getting to the Lakers with cap space. You're not getting to the Clippers with cap space. That, that's the reality of it when you have Anthony Davis and LeBron and Paul George and Kawhi. There's no... There's no clear path in New York, and, and Brooklyn is not going to do a deal for Russell Westbrook. I mean, come on. Um, and I think for New York, I think, yeah, if we start seeing the Knicks in the next uh, you know week start moving $40 million in salary, do they think they can get Kyrie? I think <laughs> Brooklyn will probably start filing tampering charges here. And so I think, I think it's all, you know, I think the only leverage that Kyrie Irving really has is him opting into his contract and saying, you know what? I'm going to play out the year at an expiring contract and we'll, we'll, we'll revisit these contract talks uh, next year or maybe there's an extension to be, to be had here. Yeah, and I'm sure that's going to work itself out great. And not that I disagree with anything that Bobby's saying. I mean, he's spot on. But, okay, let's just say that scenario unfolds in the way that he's describing it. Do you really think that there aren't going to be any sort of headaches? Like, you really think that Kyrie, if he's playing on an expiring deal, that he's going to be the perfect soldier all season long, that he's not going to have these mysterious, you know, AWOL episodes to where, you know, I don't feel like playing today, I don't feel like playing for Because he's pulled that too, right? He, he's pulled that, remember, a couple of years ago, within the last couple of years, even when the contract wasn't an issue. And he wasn't going into a walk year. He just didn't feel like playing. You know, disappeared for a week, two weeks. Didn't matter. Nah, I just don't feel like it today. And then that's welcoming him back with open arms. And see, that's the thing, like loyalty trust don't you think that's also something that maybe should be reciprocated a little bit because the organization has bent over backwards for him they really and truly have like they put up with all the garbage all the nonsense and this is how he's going to turn around and repay the organization saying you know if i don't get what i want i'm out of here 
Now, he's not the first one and he's not the last one in sports to do it, but it just goes to show you, right? That trust only goes so far because it's, it's backfired in other ways, too, where the team can up and get rid of a player without any notice and leave him hanging because that happens frequently. But you think about this, like, to me, it's kind of like a bigger conversation with the franchise as a whole. Right? You look at the Nets. And they've been over there now for, what, a decade? Close to it, thereabouts? Somewhere in that neighborhood since they moved to Brooklyn? What have they done? Like, really and truly, like, what have the Nets done since going to Brooklyn? Next to nothing? Pretty much nothing? You know, and I'm not going to sit here and get into a whole conversation about, well, was it worth it? Moving over the river to Brooklyn, getting your uh, new arena, new identity, and all those things. Great. They've only won two rounds. Think about that. They've won two rounds in all the time that they've been there. Two playoff series. How many coaches they've been through? Like, think about that for a second, right? Since since the Nets moved to Brooklyn, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Steve Nash is the eighth coach. The eighth coach in ten years for the Brooklyn Nets. The only thing that's surprising to me is maybe why did Kevin Durant choose them? You know, he's going to write a book one day maybe and explain it all despite everything he said up until this point, because it just doesn't add up right. It doesn't make sense. Like, why would you go to a franchise like that, which hasn't won, which who knows if it will ever win? They've done everything they possibly could to pull out all the stops to try to turn it into a winner, and it's not happening. Remember when they went all in for the Kevin Garnett? And I know it's different ownership and everything, different people in charge. And, you know, when Billy King was there and Prokhorov, and they made the trade with the Celtics to bring in all the old guys with KG and Paul Pierce, and they won around. And since Kyrie and KD and Harden and all these other guys came to Brooklyn, they won a round. That's it. What a mess. I mean, that, that's all you can say. What a mess. And I'll tell you something. If this impasse turns into something maybe a little bit more serious and maybe they're left with no other alternative but to have to move on from Kyrie Irving... You know what that is for the Nets? That's a miracle. That is an unpleasant surprise that maybe could benefit this team moving forward. Because I don't think you're winning anything with this guy on your team. It's as simple as that. Remember, this is the guy, the same guy who didn't want to play with LeBron James anymore in Cleveland. Wanted out of Cleveland. Championship team. Wanted out. Went to the Celtics. How did that work out in Boston? All I know is that once Kyrie left Boston, they made it to the NBA Finals, never made it to the NBA Finals under his watch. Isn't that amazing? Goes to Brooklyn, and that has been one colossal disappointment since he ended up there. Why would anybody want to take that on? It's hard enough trying to build a winner in the NBA and in sports. This only complicates matters. Found the Knicks, steer clear, steer far and wide. Don't need it. 800 That is the telephone number. At Dan Grasses, where you can get me on Twitter. 
G-R-A-C-A. one nothing Bombers, fourth inning over the Tampa Bay Rays, courtesy of one Anthony Rizzo's 19th home run of the season. Garrett Cole in charge so far tonight for the Bombers. Three hitless innings for the Yankee right-hander. And, you know, it's not just that the Yankees are beating everybody, right? It's nice to see, I'm sure, if you're a fan, that they're beating the teams that even they had struggled with the last couple of years, like the Tampa Bay Rays. Right? Tampa's had their number, but not this year. And really, nobody has their number this year with how well they just keep rolling over the opposition. Mets have been doing a halfway decent job, I would say, in the same vein. Yankees got the best record in baseball. Well, Mets got the second best record in baseball, which is never a bad thing. They take three out of four from the fish, blank them this afternoon, 6 nothing. And I don't know about you, how many of you watched the game today, if you got a chance to see it, and thought in that first inning, when they loaded the bases with nobody out against Trevor Rodgers, who, by the way, has beaten the Mets a couple of times at City Field and beaten the Mets when Jacob DeGrom was his counterpart over the last couple of years. Like he pitched a, outpitched Jacob DeGrom a couple of times, right? So this guy, even though he's having a disappointing season, I, I, I cringed at the thought of him lining up against this lineup here today, especially that tough loss they suffered yesterday, maybe momentum swings over to the visitors, but in that first inning, bases loaded, no outs, they only get one run. And how many of you are thinking, boy, that's going to come back to bite them, right? That is going to haunt them. They should have cashed in more than just that one run with a golden opportunity in that inning. But it didn't. And maybe this is different, right? Maybe this is how you know that this Mets team is just made differently. The DNA. The way this club is put together and the way that they just continue to grind out at bats, making life miserable for the opposition. No easy at bats. And eventually they wore them down and scoreboard reads a 6-0 victory and now on to Houston to take on the Houston Astros for a couple of days, which will be a nice test, I think, for this baseball team. I thought David Peterson probably pitched his best game so far the season today. When they needed him to, um, he rose to the occasion. And I know that he's had, you know, an occasional clunker here and there. But overall, I mean, you look at David Peterson so far, what he's been asked to do. 4-1 with a 3-1 ADRA. I think any Met fan would have taken that from him. To pitch in while they were beaten up a little bit with injuries in that starting rotation. Can never have too much starting pitching depth. And now you're going to be holding your breath because, you know, what would a game be without a Met coming out of it due to an injury? Jeff McNeil today scoring a run. And as he was coming down that third base line, you know, you saw him come up a little bit and a little bit of hamstring tightness. So you hope it's not anything too lengthy. Remember, Buck Walter has rested him a couple of times this year because of his legs. And to just kind of stay on top of that and be proactive so you're not running him into the ground, no pun intended. You know, J.D. Davis got hit by a pitch on his left hand. What else is new? I mean, the Mets are at a record pace right now when it comes to hit batsmen. And Buck came out all, you know, red-faced and infuriated, as he should. But what is he going to do? It wasn't intentional. But at this point here with the Mets, I mean, you're sitting there and you're flabbergasted. Like, I mean, it's almost a joke at this point how that they just seem to be the target for any opposing pitcher when he stands there 60 feet, 6 inches away. Intention or not, you don't want your guys getting hurt. You won't want your guys going down. And thankfully that there hasn't been a worst-case scenario yet with a Met getting hit by pitch. 
So the lead right now is six games in the National League East. Certainly a little bit more close for comfort than what the Yankees are dealing with in their division. But you got a six-game lead on the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta's kicking off a big series tonight against the San Francisco Giants. Giants are playing some really, really good baseball right now, as a matter of fact. And the Braves, who recently had that 14-game winning streak to shave off about five games on the deficit they faced against the Mets, they did that, whether you want to admit to it or not, but it's true, they beat up on a lot of bad teams. I know you can only play who's in front of you, but the Braves fattened up during that 14-game stretch against pretty much the also-rans of the National League. But for the next few weeks, it's going to be the complete opposite for the Atlanta Braves. 17 of the next 23 games that the Braves have in front of them are against teams 500 or better. You know what the Braves' record is this year against winning teams with winning records? 12-14. and 14. And they're 26-15 and 15 against teams with losing records. Fattening up against the teams you're supposed to beat, teams you're supposed to take care of business against, fine. And it always is supposed to even itself out. So now it's going to even out for this Braves team. And we'll probably get a little bit more information as to how good this team could possibly be. Let's hear a little bit, though, from the manager right now. Here's Buck Showalter on his team's offensive strategy at the plate. This isn't just about walking. It's not just about being selective. It's, you know, making people earn the out against you. You know, make them grind. Make them work. And uh, keep the pressure on them. It's hard. And it can't just be the first four guys. It's got to be nine, hopefully. You know, make them earn everything. You know, it's more than just pass the baton. It's uh, what do you do when you got the baton? Do you, do you hold up your leg of the race? Today was the day that Major League Baseball teams had to part ways with a pitcher. They were allowed to keep as many as 14 up until today because, you know, baseball was doing all it could to help these teams just get through the fact that you had an interrupted offseason with a lockout. You didn't have spring training normally scheduled like you do because of the lockout. So, you know, get as many pitchers as possible. Try not to burn these pitching staffs up until this point. But now already, you know, you figure you're in deep enough into the season to where it shouldn't be a problem. So a pitcher has to go. And for the Mets, Dom Smith now takes a spot on the roster. He gets recalled from AAA. It allows you to have four bench players. What isn't the worst thing in the world? But Buck was asked after the game about what you can expect in terms of playing time for Dom. Dom's capable of making contributions for us, you know, in whatever role he's ready to help. You know, we uh, he's good. He's a good player, and he's capable of making contributions. And we took him down there to get to a spot, one to get a pitcher, and also to get him get him going a little bit. And he did that. So uh, that's how you get back here. Another three hit game today for Brandon Nimmo. And look. I'll I'll be the first to admit, right? It's taken me a while to come full circle with Brandon Nimmo, right? Anytime, like, his name was thrown about as far as, you know, is this the guy that the Mets should maybe move? Whenever these, you know, off-season discussions happen about, hey, should they move on from Brandon Nimmo? You know, teams find him appealing. Is, Is that a piece that you throw into some sort of a package to upgrade your roster? And I was always of the opinion, yeah, go, send them, sure. Who? Like, I was never the biggest Brandon Nimmo guy. Remember, he had some problems staying in and out of the lineup, too, earlier in his career. And I just never really thought it was going to pan out to the extent that you would expect it to from a former first-round pick. Well, I've done a complete 180. Full disclosure, I'm, I'm Team Brandon Nimmo now all the way. 
I understand his value to this team. I completely recognize it. I, don't, I, I can't really sit here, and I don't want to sit here and think about what this lineup would be without him, potentially. But three more hits today, and he's really done himself one heck of a job. I mean, I don't think he's an all-star in terms of the way you look at the National League and all the best players, but he's having an all-star caliber season for the New York Mets as a leadoff hitter, getting on base, causing havoc, playing a decent outfield. He's done all that they asked of him and then some. So Brandon, after today's game, talked about this Mets offense. It's just guys understanding their role on the team and understanding, um, you know, what the situation dictates. Um, it, it doesn't always dictate, uh, you know, a home run or a grand slam. Um, sometimes it dictates that they're gonna, they're not coming after you. And Mark was able to lay off of a, a tough pitch, um, three-two there. Uh, and and you know, if he would have swung at that and was thinking, you know, I got to hit a grand slam here. Uh, he chases it, and, and we're out of the inning with no runs. So uh, you have to let the game come to you, and that only comes through experience, I feel like. And, um, you know, I think you see that a lot with this team of, the, you know, that mentality. We, we keep saying it and preaching it of passing the, the baton. You know, it's not always you that has to get it done. You just pass the baton, uh, and the next guy, you know, maybe he makes a mistake to the next guy. So um, that's how we try and put that together. And same from the base running standpoint. It's it's just trying to take advantage of, of little opportunities. If they give you that inch, take it. Um, you know, if they give you a mile, take it. Um, and if they're not, then then just, you know, go from base to base and trust that, you know, we, we're going to put up good at-bats, and, uh, and that will produce runs. So that's Nimmo. So the Mets are going down to Houston to play a couple of games against the Astros, and after that, they're going to take Thursday off before they go down to Miami for a weekend series. And wouldn't you know it, wouldn't you know that a guy who might be towing the rubber for the Mets down in South Beach against the Marlins, a guy that got hurt pretty much a month ago on May the 18th, and they said he was going to be out for anywhere from six to eight weeks, because of that oblique injury that he suffered. Well, Max Scherzer is going to be making a rehab start tomorrow. And if all goes well, and if he only needs that one rehab start, Max Scherzer is going to be making his return to the Mets rotation this weekend down in Miami. How about that? So what was six to eight weeks now could be shut down to maybe in the neighborhood of closer to five. Ahead of schedule. $43 million dollars. He's as advertised in terms of being a gamer, wanting to go out there. And so Scherzer, one piece of the two-headed monster that Met fans have been dying to see at the top of this rotation, and could Jacob Jacob DeGrom not be that much further behind him? I mean, you figure that Jake's got to be, what, like two, three weeks away, maybe, with no other obstacles or complications? I mean, it's been since March. I mean, what the hell is taking so long at this point, Jake? Come on, get out there. Max can do it, you can too. I don't even want to think about how dangerous this team could be if you get both of these guys healthy, but you just want to make sure you get through one or two turns through the rotation with both of them being able to take the ball. Right? You hold your breath each and every time. The no-hitter is no more. Down in Tropicana Fields, Itzak Paredes. Lead-off single up the middle in the eighth inning. So pitch number 105 is the first one in which Garrett Cole allows a base hit tonight. He's been outstanding. 
really and truly is. And as I just tweeted out a couple of seconds ago, Aaron Boone's the happiest guy in the ballpark because now he doesn't have to look at, be you know looked at as the bad guy or possibly run the trouble of leaving him in with the pitch uh, the pitch clock or not the pitch clock the pitch count pitch clock is coming next year, boys and girls, uh, to baseball. Um, and that one by uh, Brandon Lau, he gave it a ride deep to center field. Aaron Judge had to make a leaping catch on the warning track to haul that one in here. So gives up the leadoff single. Lau gives that one for a ride. And naturally, Aaron Boone's walking out of the dugout, as he should, because uh, you got to get him out of the game now. Now, that wouldn't have left the ballpark, but it would have at least just caromed off the wall probably for an extra base hit. Does Paridi score? If that one's in play, who knows? But nevertheless, that's a hell of an effort for Garrett Cole. He's going to go seven and a third, one hit, 12 punch outs, three walks, 111 pitches. He's responsible for the guy on first base, but he can't lose the game. He could still get the win, of course, if the uh, bullpen bails him out here. Needs to find a way to get the last five outs here for the New York Yankees. And more importantly, Yankees got to find a way to just win this game. Now the no-hitter stuff is out of the way. Find a way to get the W here with the 2 to nothing lead over the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, Charles Barkley, I mentioned. Look, he, he's everybody knows about Charles. He's no secret that he likes to express his mind. Always likes to talk about, you know, what he feels. Tells it like it is. That's what makes him so good at what he does. And as you know that a lot of the current generation of players in the NBA take exception to some of the things that he has to say just because, you know, different eras, different times, game was played differently, different things are asked from players, so on and so forth. Yes, the money is different and all the above, but, you know, the modern-day player, the current generation, I don't think that they're as open to criticism as maybe the previous generation once was. So here's Charles Barkley. This was on Get Up on Friday Talking specifically about a guy that we've discussed quite in detail tonight, and that would be one Kevin Durant. Take a listen. Before KD gets that great respect from all the old heads, he's going to have to win a championship as a guy, as a bus driver. Listen, he joined this, uh, that team had already won a championship, so no disrespect. That's just a fact. But until he is the guy on a championship team, we're not going to ever give him the respect I mean, that he probably deserves. And that's just the way it is. And like I say, the, the game hasn't changed. Kobe said it. LeBron said it. And so we're going to hold him to the same high standard. I like Barkley a lot. I really and truly do. But I disagree with him on this one. Because first and foremost, see, I, I, I think it comes full circle. Like the two championships with KD – when he was with Golden State, and then what Golden State just accomplished this year in winning another one. Like, I don't agree with this theory necessarily that KD wasn't the guy on those two titles with Golden State, that he wasn't the bus driver, as Barkley likes to say. They became KD's teams. KD didn't have the history necessarily with the organization and the franchise, but anybody who watched the Warriors those two years, those were Durant's teams. And you want to say that maybe Steph... Being the good teammate, being the good soldier, stepped aside and allowed KD to kind of take over that alpha male, that Batman role, and, you know, Curry at times became the Robin. Okay. Steph wanted to win. But KD, he was the number one dude on those teams. I'm sorry, he was. 
You know, he was the finals MVP for both of those runs. He was the unstoppable one, not Curry. As a matter of fact, I mean, go back and look. Curry, you know, had some tough times during those years in terms of the box score and the stat sheets. You know, he struggled. I remember we would talk about this openly, about, like, what's wrong with Curry? Like, you know, can he not play with him? You know, is something wrong in that sense? You know, can these two coexist? Well, they coexisted. They won a couple of championships. Maybe Steph didn't necessarily put up the same production that he did when KD wasn't there. But for the good of the team, they all bonded together, and it resulted in two rings. So I don't know what Barkley wants. Like, does he want Kevin Durant to go join the Sacramento Kings and to lead them to a championship? Does he want Kevin Durant to come to the Knicks and lead them to a championship? Not that I'm comparing the Knicks and the Kings, but you know what I mean. He goes to both of those teams. He's the guy. And a lot of other teams as well. So, I really don't think that the Golden State situation applies, per se. I I, I really and truly don't. Because I don't think that it's fair. And, you know, the Kobe situation, look, I remember those teams crystal clear. Those three straight championships that the Lakers won back in the day, the first three, the three-peats, the beginning of the 2000s when they beat the Nets in one of them, Shaq was the dominant force on those teams. Now, we could get into whether or not L.A. would have won three in a row if Kobe wasn't there. I don't know if that was the case, but in terms of who was the unstoppable dominant force on those clubs, the answer was Shaq. He was the one the teams had no answer for. Kobe was great. Kobe was there. But Shaq was unstoppable. Because you were already starting to get into the time in the NBA where we're already starting to see that shift in the early 2000s to where the era of the dominant center was kind of eroding, right? And it was starting to become more of a perimeter-oriented game, more of a wing-dominant game. Like, they were the dudes that ended up running the NBA and still do to this day. But, like, the last, you know, of the dying breed of the big man in the perimeter, the center, Shaq, that's why teams didn't have an answer. You know, how many more of those that I have to watch him, you know, beating up on, on, on Todd McCulloch in the NBA Finals? Remember that? First with Philadelphia, then with New Jersey. I mean, yikes. You know, played Rick Smiths in that one final with Indiana, too. Like, I, I mean, you know, Rick Smiths wasn't bad, but nobody was Shaq. Nobody could give up with him. He was unstoppable. So, I mean, would we have looked at Kobe's career differently, let's say, if he didn't then go win those two championships after Shaq had moved on? Like, imagine if Kobe was just the guy who had three rings and it was only those three. Would it be different? Perhaps. Right? I mean, five titles is different than three. And the fact that he had to be the guy on his own for those last two certainly enhanced his legacy, I think, to another level. I don't know if we're ever going to look at Kevin Durant and Kobe in the same light. Like, if we're sitting here talking about, like, the whole legacy type thing and, you know, doing our arbitrary rankings and the top ten and this, KD doesn't match up to Kobe. He doesn't. He's good. He's great. But he's not Kobe. But does Kevin Durant need to be, you know, validated by going to a team with, 
you know, some also-rans and maybe down to their luck and they haven't had success and they haven't won consistently enough and that's the only way we're going to look at him and say, oh, he's, you know, he now he's a top 10 type player because we never said that about Kevin Durant. Curry wins a championship. People wanted to throw him in the top 10 all of a sudden, whatever these rankings and, and whatnot came about. But instead, nothing about KD. Because with KD, it's always like drama involved. Maybe even if he's not the one that's initiating it. There's always seems to be like some sort of drama. And so what happens with KD once the Charles Barkley comments go out there? Well, KD tweets, you know, subtweets get up and he goes, all this bleep is nasty. Another terrible analogy from a hating old head that can't accept that we making more bread than them. It's just timing, Chucky. Don't hate the player. You think that this is, you know, stems from a place of bitterness and resentment from Charles Barkley? I don't. I think Charles Barkley is a guy who's been around for, you know, affiliated with the NBA for going on almost 40 years. He's seen a lot more basketball than Kevin Durant has. And so he's just offered an opinion. But, like I said, you don't have to agree with it because I, for one, don't. I think Barkley's off on this one. I think KD validated whatever the heck it needs that you need to see him validate by what he did with the Golden State Warriors. I really and truly believe that. Nothing left to hide and nothing left to prove. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>